as we continue in worship, grab your Bibles or grab uh, whatever app you may use and turn to Psalm 119 as we finish it up today, as we conclude this longest psalm, longest chapter, filled with repetition, filled with wisdom and insight, and I must admit that as we've gotten through uh, I'm not sure this message is going to be anything different than the other four or five, or I'm not exactly sure how many, um, you know, that I've been on. But, but it's always good to be reminded of things, as this song is, has a heartbeat of, of someone who has been well-versed in Scripture. As some would say, this is this, the psalmist's way of saying, from A to Z, God's Word proclaims. What we need to do. One of my uh, favorite authors that I've read at times is Malcolm Gladwell. He wrote the book Outliers. He wrote David and Goliath, The Tipping Point, um, and I believe one or two others. And, and what he says is any of us can be an expert if we're willing to live out the practice and be intentional about something. So we all can be an expert. Alright? So it's not about a qualification of how smart you are or how good looking you are. There's hope where, you know, given it more time. About where you come from. You don't have to be born in a certain area. Any and all of us can be an expert with deliberate practice. And by his research and others, it takes 10,000 hours of deliberate practice to be with that. So um, with the exception of you know, some of our young adults, you know, the rest of us are old enough to be an expert in something. 10,000 hours, roughly seven to 10 years for you to get there. The problem is, most of us aren't deliberate in doing much. Most of us aren't intentional about practicing. But you can. But being an expert isn't just about knowledge. It's about living it out in a way that others see. It would be no good, I would argue, she's gonna not, she would argue against me, that Barbara McDonald is an expert at the order. She's already shaking her head, no, I'm not even looking at her, I know this about Barb. She's going to say, no, 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 many people know how to play better than I, I'm far from it. But let's be honest, she has been deliberate and cultivating the skill and the expertise of that instrument. Does it, it doesn't mean that there isn't someone better. That there probably is. But in our church, there is not. She is the expert here, but it doesn't matter if she knows how to do it if she doesn't sit down and play every Sunday or every Sunday she's here. What good would that be, right? Uh, she may know it all, but I, we're not going to get to learn and enjoy from her. And, and so we, we can be an expert, but sometimes we think once we become an expert, we don't have to do anything. We just get this status. That's not what true expertise is about. True expertise is living out 
what we know to be true. The, the psalmist in Psalm 119, we can argue he's an expert at, at doing lots of things. He knows how to get words to line up to fulfill uh, his purpose. He, he understands, it seems, the ins and outs of Scripture. He, he brings illusions in that you and I wouldn't even maybe pick up. He just, he gets it. But he's not worried about having an expertise in God's law just so you can sit back and go, I'm done. I got it. I've reached the status of being one of the best around. You know, Kobe, would you like now that you're finished with wellness school, right? Did you start your job yet or started? Started. It'd be like you being an expert in welding, but deciding to go be a secretary somewhere. That doesn't appease you, does it? Maybe you could be a principal like your mom. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, but that wouldn't be you, would it? We would look at your training at Hobart and say, what was that for, right? If you're not going to use it. Now, you may not be an expert in welding, but you're well on your way to 2,000 hours of intentionally practicing it. And I think sometimes we get this idea that we can be an expert in God's word because we've been here long enough. Hebrews would say some of you ought to be teachers by now. And we think that teaching means imparting of knowledge. When Psalm 119 and all Understanding of scripture is not about just about knowledge. It's about how to live. It does no good if you know the ins and outs of scripture, but your life doesn't make a difference. And it doesn't show up. And I know, you know, I've been in ministry now 22 years of ministry. That's more than 10,000 hours. Now, not all of those deliberate and intentional things to be honest. But it would do no good if I could tell you what the Word of God says if I don't live out what I preach every week. We have a word for that, do we not? What is that word? Someone go ahead and share it. Hypocrites. Faith. You know? And maybe even some worse names that would be right to call. And if we got to remember, we can know everything we want about the loving, the faithful, the righteous, the good, the gracious God. But if we do not treat others with grace and love and God's character, then it doesn't matter what we know. You know, our senior board is a great board. And one of the things is they look at teaching the next generation of kids. One of the things they, they are always reminded of and they know to be true that faith is not just taught. It is hot. It is how you and I live. How we interact with one another. So do my kids see that I'm gracious not just to them but to others? Will little Ella Rose know that she is loved even when she does something that's maybe a little bit honoring, stinkerish, right? Not her. Not her at all. You know, and that. When they see us as the larger church, do they see grace and love and truth? Or do they see something else? Because also with our next generation, 
As any of you with, who are parents know that sometimes you can tell them the exact same thing, but when somebody else says it, it clicks. What they see with somebody else is like, oh, maybe I ought to do that. And as a parent, have been there? You want to go, what is wrong with you? I've been, I, I, Daniel, I love you. I've been saying that for five years. You know, but somebody else said, hey, I think you ought to do this. I'm like, oh, that's wonderful. Parents, this is why we need the church. I know my time with them teenagers. You know, including today, I, I'm not saying much different than mom and dad are probably saying. I just have to not be mom and dad. So Kate kind of listens to me maybe a little bit better than mom and dad at times. Because I'm just different. You know, it's just the way it is. That's the beauty of the church. That's the beauty of actually God's way. He set up in the Old Testament for us to be that way. So, you know, Pastor Ken, I, I really thought he would do this. I'm glad I know Pastor Ken well enough to know he was going to quote this verse. Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fools despise wisdom and destruction. Or the psalmist would say the same thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. There's this idea that even though faith is taught, it can also be taught. So one of the things I'm debating and I'm praying about how to do it, when to do it, all those logistics, is how to help you all understand how to get into the Bible and, and do some things that on your own you can practice so that you can be an expert in this word. And I would hope you'd be part of a small group, or we will create a small group, another class of some sort, you know, with things that you can be an expert, not so you just gain knowledge. But our world needs to see wise people living out wisdom. That's why Paul, in the letter to the Ephesians or Colossians, wanted to be wise how you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Say your speech be seasoned with grace, he says. It's not, this word doesn't, you don't have to have a rocket science or a neuroscience degree. You, you don't have to be um, as well educated as Pastor Paul or Pastor Ken or Pastor Ron. But you know, you can learn how to understand this. So I'm debating how to do that, when to do that, what does that look like? And if you have insights or suggestions, let me know. Because we need to be experts in this word. Even more now, as our world is, is no longer Christian, and that's an okay thing. Not okay in the sense of we like it, but it's an okay thing because now we can share what Scripture looks like lived out. I'm reminded of what uh, Timothy Keller has once said when he started ministry in uh, rural Virginia. He said back in the 60s and the 70s in rural Virginia, it was hard to share the gospel because people thought they knew it. They thought they were already saved. He said it was much easier to share the gospel in, in the 90s and the 2000s and 2010s in New York City, which seemed odd, right? He said the difference was no one in New York City thinks they are saved, and that's okay. We live in a world where 
it isn't commonplace to say, yeah, I already know the Bible. I know Jesus loves me. I know what the scripture says or doesn't say, or so we think. We live in a world that this isn't a book they read. I would also say much to our demise, maybe because of we are in the state we are in as the church, not as those on the outside, but those on the inside. According to Barnum, many of us do not read this, let alone the hard work of living out. The Old Testament, time and time again, as well as the New Testament, God never said, here's my law, read it, you'll be fine. Just read it and live it out. The nation of Israel was called to be the light to the Gentiles. The church is God's people today to be the light, but we can't be a light for not obeying God's word. We may have all the right beliefs, but we will miss out. And so, as we hear, as we get started, and finish this psalm, I just want to remind us of the truths of what Psalm 119 will tell us that we see here. The first one is this, God is right, all of us. There is an absolute, there is a standard, and it's not you and me. God is always right. Period. We see this time and time again in this in this chapter. You are righteous, the Lord says. Your laws are right. The statues you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. There is one who is right. This is good news. And it's not good news. God is right. And because of that, there is a source of hope that you and I can have. And that hope is going to be found in Scripture. Thought I had a slide here, and I don't have it. Hold on. You know, we find it there. We find in Scripture who this right God is and how to relate to Him, because Scripture will always reveal God. He goes on to say, though, and it's at the end, but I think we need to realize this: as much as we can live out God's law, the Psalmist says, "I live out Your law, O Lord. I, I haven't." Disobeyed, but we will fail intentionally and unintentionally. We will mess up. He says it here, and I don't know whether this psalm come, came first or the book of Isaiah, but there's this idea from Isaiah 53 we all like sheep have gone our way, but he says it here as well. I have strayed like a lost sheep, but seek. Your servant, O oh Lord, for I've not forgotten. There's two different ways of going astray. One is the intentional. When you know the right path and you choose the other way, like driving a car. If you if your phone or your navigator or the map says turn left and you turn right, you have intentionally gone the wrong way. God's word will let us know when we've gone the wrong way. But there are times when maybe you don't have those things and you unintentionally don't stay on the road because we have lots of these roads around here. You get to a, a T and one side is one road and the other side is the continuation of the other road and you got to keep going around turns and curves and 
names change, but you're really on the same road. Anybody know a couple of those roads around here? You know? Yeah. And it's easy to unintentionally get off on the wrong path. You know? Or if, you, if someone said, just go on I-75 and get off on 25A. Okay? Which 25A do I get off on? I might be on the right road, but heading the wrong way unintentionally. This is where we need God's Word and His people to help us when we go a little bit astray. Here in the psalmist, I think this is encouragement for you and I. He's not, he, he makes this land, he wasn't negligent, like he was intentionally going, I know God's word and I'm going the opposite. But he's seeking the grace of God because he goes, I know I have gone astray. Unintentional. Where maybe you are you? I know there have been times when I would hope more at this point in time in my faith journey, it's unintentional. But I can also be known that, you know what, I can show grace to others that maybe their off-practice wasn't as intentional as I think it was. You may be way off. I might think that. But maybe I can treat you the grace that I sit and go, maybe it wasn't because Jim just is just stubborn and he wants to do it his own way. Maybe he unintentionally started that. That led him this way. Is this not maybe what the New Testament writer says? Gently rebuke one another in love. I don't know why all this. I don't need to know why you got astray and bring you back in love. We read in Luke 15, maybe Luke picked up some of this, I don't know where we see that the Lord is one who goes and finds the sheep that have gone their own way. May that be us as a church and so forth. Interesting enough, it was there to read our devotions this week. We read that Jesus tells those stories in response to the fact that he it was lobbying against him, that he's hanging out with the wrong crowd collectors and sinners instead of the good religious folks. We need both. But our churches may not just be a holy home where we sit in our own little group and we have our own little Christian friends and we never interact with any of those who are on the outside. There's very little to expand the kingdom of God to look for the lost sheep when we move on. God's ways are always just. Righteousness and justice are pretty tough. God is just, but he's also righteous. Meaning that whatever he does will complete his justice and declare the right sentence for sin. We live in a world where there is injustice. Things happen that aren't right. As good as our our court system may be, as better as it may be than any other uh, system or country, it doesn't always get it right. And sometimes they decide one thing, and then years later they decide something else, and we don't have it. But God never flip-flops his judgments. 
with things. He's always, whatever he decides first is right, always. And so we can count on when he says something, it's, it's not going to change. God carries out his justice faithfully. He never takes a day off of injustice to make it right. This is why Micah, in particular, says, what does God seek? What does God desire? It wasn't just a system of being his people, going through emotions. He says, to seek justice. Walk humbly before you seek mercy. God has a heart for injustices. He will notice in this psalm, we see that this, that in the end, this, this psalmist is calling on God to be just because there's injustice going on in the world. And he wants the only rightfully just person to get it there. But here's the reality. In God's eyes, not always the case in ours, but sometimes it is. When a verdict is handed down by a jury in our court system, does that verdict make the person guilty or innocent, or is it a proclamation of what already is true? Think about it. Does the verdict make them guilty or innocent, or is it a proclamation of what is already true? I would argue it's the latter. When you go to the doctor and they give you a diagnosis, does that all of a sudden make that to be true? John would say, no. Can't make you have shingles. Can you? Jennifer. You can't make someone have it. But you can declare what is there, that was already there. And that's part of the, the role within the system of things. And when we understand that in our limited, now we understand what we read in Scripture to be true. That in Christ, we are declared right. Not, I know I put made right. That, I'm wordsmithing even on the fly. We are made right, but we are declared right because in Christ we are already that because of his justice and his faithfulness. We aren't made anything necessarily on our own. But in Christ, God declares to be true what is already true. In Christ, we are already righteous and right before God's eyes. We aren't just all of a sudden made that way in the world. That may sound complicated. I understand. But we've got to understand this now. That's the beauty of what Paul and others said. That when, when you, here it is in Romans 3, 21. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fallen short. And all are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. If you confess that Jesus is the Savior, is the Messiah, is the Lord, you are right at that moment. The issue is we have to live out that rightness, that righteousness. And it's already true before that. Back to our law uh, kind of analogies, I tried to, you know, kind of, uh, you know, bring this to it. It'd be like someone who was pronounced innocent uh, by, by verdict and then staying in shackled 
and handcuffs. So the law enforcement come, they undo it, and they say, no, 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 put them back on. I, I, need, to, I need to keep these on. We would look at them and go, what? No, that's, that's dumb. That's wrong. You are innocent. Oh, no, no, no. Shackle me back up. I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty. He can live or she can live as someone who is guilty all the time, even though the verdict has been called innocent. The verdict, the de declaration, changes life. If you understand that you are declared because of Christ as righteous, how would that change your life? How would you live differently? The verdict is there. If you are in Christ, you are made right. You are right with God. And how are you going to live that out? I know many of us, especially myself included, deal so strongly with the issues of guilt and shame. We can quote Romans 3. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Woe is me a sinner. Yes, Paul also said it, but Paul also lived out the verdict of Christ and said, You in me, you are right before God. I will live. Our only hope, the only hope of the world, is in Christ our salvation. It does us no good to proclaim a gospel and then say, But don't forget, you're an awful sinner as well. We need the truth that we all say. But in Christ, we are more than our sin. We are more than who we say we are. We are who He says we are. That is the Psalm 119. But when that comes, we know, we can say time and time again, the Lord Please, in your compassion, verse 156, your compassion, O Lord, is great. Preserve my life according to your word. For all your words are true, and all your righteous laws are eternal. And when God pronounce you innocent, you are truly innocent. Now, until all eternity. He's already put it. If you are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, that declaration has to be made. But again, today, to wherever you are, and I want to challenge us as a church, let us be an expert in Christ. 10,000 hours. You're not going to get there overnight. Again, start this week. Some of you are closer to that 10,000 hours. But don't just be an expert in knowledge. Be an expert in living out his commands as found in his word. He summed it up this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And secondly, love the neighbor as yourself. You may have all the knowledge, but you don't love others. And let me add, if you don't love yourself as Christ loves you, that's part of being a neighbor. The one neighbor you will have always, even if you live in the middle of nowhere, is yourself. Will you love yourself as Christ loves you? 
when you love others. And when you do that, you're truly living for Jesus in all things. Your heart, soul, mind, your strength. We rarely thought about the thing or the word. That is always true, always right, will never lead us astray. And your word reminds us that though we will go astray, you will seek us. You will try to find us, but we are never so far out that you're not seeking us. If we would just hear your voice and come back. Before we can even get out of our spiel of how often we are or what we have done wrong and how we are unfit to be in your house, you will say, welcome home, my child. Here, take my robe. Come, let us celebrate for one who was lost is now found. One who is dead is now alive. Lord, you seek those of us who go astray, intentionally and unintentionally. And may that be true of your church this day. Both your church here as First Baptist St. Paris, but your church global. We thank you that in many parts of our world that is true, as it is here. Lord, I just ask that you help us to be intentional about cultivating those 10,000 hours to be an expert in Christ, not to huff up, but instead to live out. For Lord, we know that when we live out your word, life, light, and grace are. Lord, we thank you for it. And we praise in Jesus' name.